Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this evening is found in Matthew 27, verses 15 through 26, as printed in your bulletins and already read. Dear fellow followers of Jesus, Sometimes something that happens later helps us understand something that happened earlier. After Good Friday, after Easter, after Christ's ascension into heaven, and after Pentecost, one day Peter and John were on their way to the temple to pray when they were stopped by a man who had been lame from birth. He was looking for money. But Peter gave him something much better. In the name of Jesus, he commanded the man to walk. And he walked. And more. He ran and jumped and could not stop praising God. Naturally, all this got people's attention and a crowd came together. Peter addressed them, and he didn't waste time with, with puffery or, or platitudes. He came right at them with the harsh but necessary judgment of God's law. He said, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why are you staring at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and disowned in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked to have a murderer given to you. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Now Peter's main purpose here was to convict the people of their sin and point them to Jesus as their Savior from that and every sin. But it is hard not to be struck by that simple statement he made about the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. He had decided to release Jesus. And yet, we know all too well, Pilate still sent Jesus off to not only be flogged, but to be crucified. Of the many things that the governor did on Good Friday, the one thing he did not do was what he had decided to do. Instead of letting Jesus go, he let Christ's enemies have their way, and he sentenced the author of life to death. So what happened? What made Pilate change his mind? Where did he go wrong? And what can we learn from his story so that we don't go down the same path? Of course, only, Pil only God knows what was in Pilate's heart. But there is still much to learn from the Spirit-inspired words of the Bible. All four Gospels share details about the interaction between the king of the Jews and the governor of Judea. But only Matthew mentions a, a detail about something Pilate did before he handed Jesus over to be crucified. To protect his position and to assert his innocence, Pilate made a show of washing. 
changing what should have been hands of justice into hands of self-preservation. Now, it would certainly be understandable if Pilate's role in Christ's sufferings and death made him an object of hatred. But in many ways, he is more of a tragic, even pathetic figure. Because things did not have to turn out the way they did. Pilate could have done the right thing. There were all sorts of reasons why he should have released Jesus. When Pilate first met him, the chief priests and elders were, were accusing him of anything and everything, but Jesus said nothing. He didn't make counter-accusations. He didn't plead for mercy. He didn't say a word in his own defense. And Pilate was amazed. But when the two were alone, Jesus finally did speak. And what he said made an even deeper impression on Pilate. He said things like, My kingdom is not of this world. I am a king. For this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And you, Pilate, would have no authority over me at all if it had not been given to you from above. Needless to say, these are not the kinds of things that a Roman governor would expect to hear, especially not from someone accused of capital crimes. So Pilate was beginning to realize that this Jesus the Jewish leaders had brought him, arguing for his execution, was no ordinary human being. And to add to any unsettled feeling that those conversations might have given him, there was that message from his wife. It was still pretty early in the day, but she was not going to wait until a more opportune or convenient time to tell her husband, the governor, about her dream. She didn't need to give him the details, just the significance. Have nothing to do with that righteous man, since I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. She rightly interpreted her dream as a warning the discomfort that she experienced in her sleep, Pilate would experience, and more in his waking life, if he did not do right by Jesus. Who knows? Perhaps God revealed to her that her husband's name would be remembered by millions upon millions for hundreds and thousands of years to come, but remembered in shame and with anger not a hint of love or glory. Was Pilate the kind of man who usually took advice from his wife? We don't know. We do know that he understood that the Jewish leaders were trying to manipulate him. And that was because they were jealous of Jesus and, and the influence that he had over the people. But seeing manipulation and motives for what they are doesn't always mean you don't give in to them. So what did Pilate do? He weighed the testimony, examined the evidence, heard from his wife, and determined that Jesus was no criminal. 
the right thing to do at every stage was to release Jesus and send his enemies and the crowds home with threats of punishment if they did not disperse or if they took matters into their own hands. But that is not what Pilate did. First, he tried to find an easier way out. He told the chief priests to try Jesus themselves, but they had already done that and needed him to impose a death sentence. Then he sent Jesus to Herod, who ruled over Galilee, hoping that that petty king would take jurisdiction and, and take this Nazarene off his hands. And when none of those things worked, Pilate tried getting the crowd to call for Jesus to be released as part of his Passover custom. But he made the mistake of giving them a choice. And they chose a murderer, Barabbas, instead, because the chief priests prompted them to. Pilate must have been stunned that they opted for a notorious, dangerous rebel instead of the gentle, popular miracle worker that he offered them. He was probably even more disappointed and frustrated because his plan, his easy way out, had backfired. To release Jesus now would be to free two prisoners instead of just one and he would not have liked how that made him look. But he took one last chance, turning the decision over to the mob, perhaps hoping that they would now show the moral courage that he lacked. But no. When he asked them, What should I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They called for his crucifixion. And when he tried to reason with them and asked their reasons, why? What has he done wrong? They kept shouting even louder, crucify him. Now things were getting out of control. He was supposed to be in charge. So he made a decision. One that took no moral courage and, he hoped, eliminated the chance of a riot breaking out while the city was crammed full of Passover pilgrims. He tried to make his decision look like their decision, though no one was fooled. Self-preservation, not justice, was on his mind, and he showed it with his hands. He took water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, and said, I am innocent of this righteous man's blood. It is your responsibility. Pilate, who could have freed Jesus, then sentenced the only truly innocent man ever to a horrific death on a cross. The man in charge was too craven and corrupt to do what was right but he was still responsible. It was his order and his order alone that sent Jesus to be crucified. So no amount of water or soap or ritual washing would ever make those guilty hands clean or remove the stain of his cowardice. Of course, 
we should not expect the Roman governor to act like someone who knows and worships the Lord. The unbeliever did what an unbeliever will do. And that is not surprising. What is surprising and troubling is how often people who know better, who know Jesus, who call themselves His followers, how often they do what Pilate. I don't have to tell you about the situations that you find yourself in when it's time to do the right thing or say the right words, to stand up for the truth, to speak up for the innocent, or, or just to stand firm with Jesus. Maybe it's pressure at work or school. Maybe it's the urge to go along with your friends or the in-group. Maybe it's outright attacks on Christianity or, or persecution because you identify as a Christian. Too often we say or do nothing when the right thing is to say or do something. If we were challenged in the moment, we might throw up our hands and say, I, I had to look out for myself here. And even later, we might rationalize to assuage our guilt. It, it wasn't the right time. It wouldn't look good to get into an argument. I, I can't do my job if I get fired. I can't witness to my friends if I lose them. But all along, it's really all about self-preservation. And on the last day, we will not be able to claim that we didn't know any better, as Pilate might try to do. We are followers of Jesus, and we know who He is, the Lord and Savior of all the world. And as he told his disciples when he sent them out into the world, whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Those words make us shudder when we realize how often we have tried to wash our hands of Jesus and we should have acted or spoken as his disciples. Don't think of it as coming to Christ's defense. Remember that Jesus could have easily defended himself against the false charges and, and, and could even have called down legions of angels to destroy his enemies. Jesus possessed the divine power to do everything that Pilate failed to do and, and more. But he chose not to use that power. Because suffering everything he suffered from this injustice was him coming to our rescue. All of it was to save us from sin, death, and the devil, and to deliver us from evil to good, to eternal life as members of God's household in heaven. All of it, the betrayal, the arrest, the beatings, the humiliation, the false conviction, the flogging, the thorns, the nails, the mockery, the forsaking. Jesus allowed His own life to be taken from Him 
so that we might live in His presence forever. Praise God. You know, it is easy to focus on all the things that Pontius Pilate got wrong on Good Friday. But there was one thing he got right. When Jesus was crucified, Pilate had a notice fastened to the top of his cross that read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Was Pilate tweaking the chief priests and leaders of the people? Or was there perhaps a part of him that wanted to believe it? We don't know. But we do know that the sign had it right. Jesus is king. Not just of the Jews as the son of David, but king over all the universe as the son of God. And he is our king. Because he rules our hearts and lives. That's why Jesus could tell Pilate that his kingdom was not of this world. Because the kingship that he was most interested in and that he sacrificed himself to secure is his spiritual ruling over those who belong to him through faith. And that rule is a gracious rule, loving and, and restful. And so it moves us as his humble and grateful subjects to follow Him. We want to stand where He stands, to go where He leads us, and, and to say what He gives us to say whenever He gives us the opportunity to say it. We use our hands to serve Him and serve our neighbor. And we leave the preservation of ourselves in His perfectly capable powerful, nail-pierced hands. Amen. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, both soul and body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. Amen.